Welcome to the Daily Dive Weekend Edition. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and every week I explore the top stories making waves in the news and some that are just plain interesting. I'll connect you with the journalists and the people who know the story and bring you news without the noise so you can make an informed decision. You can catch a new episode of the Daily Dive every Monday through Friday, and it's ready when you wake up. On the weekend edition, I'll be bringing you some of the best stories from the week. About 60 miles north of Los Angeles, Lockheed Martin has a super secret aircraft and weapons facility called Skunk Works. The U-2 spy plane and F-117 Nighthawk were both developed there, and Lockheed is currently jockeying for a role in the Air Force's next fighter jet program. Skunk Works just opened a new state-of-the-art factory and invited journalists to tour it, but in a very secretive manner with much of the travel around the campus in underground tunnels. For more on all this, we'll speak to Lee Hudson, defense reporter at Politico. Yeah, it was a really cool opportunity. It's huge. Their campus in Palmdale is over 539 acres, and I saw a very small sliver of that. They brought a group of reporters to see their new factory. They're calling it the factory of the future. What they wanted to showcase was that they're using new methods for them to produce aircraft and other types of weapons. Um, but it's very similar to the way that the automotive industry is um, building automobiles, and they, they've been doing it for a long time. Um, it's just newer for the defense world. So uh, you mentioned in the article, you know, there was two reasons really why they were opening this up to reporters. And, and one was for their new factory, the opening, grand opening of their new factory. But the other thing was to drum up support for more Pentagon business. Uh, obviously, Lockheed Martin is is in that business and they want that funding. So one of the things that they're trying to get into is the next fighter jet program. And that's going to be called the next generation air dominance. What are they vying for trying to do that? Yeah, absolutely. So there's been mixed messages coming out of the Pentagon. Um, it sounds like the Air Force want something that could be um, possibly unmanned for that. Uh, and then the Navy is also working on its own next generation fighter program. Uh, and it sounds like they want a manned platform. But the reason Lockheed Martin is concerned is because with the new Biden administration, they're looking to cut the budget, reduce the budget. Um, and so they were just trying to highlight, hey, these new technologies, it is important to fund them to keep us up to date uh, against potential adversaries like China or Russia. So tell us some of the cool stuff that you got to see there, because you mentioned the article, too, how secretive everything is on that campus. Obviously, the travel, a lot of it is done in underground tunnels. Sounds very spy-like, but what were they doing and what did they show off to you guys? Yeah, so we started off at the visitor center. It's kind of like just going to the airport. You go through a metal detector and show your ID. Um, and then we went into a conference room for some briefings. And then after that, that's where it got cooler. They took us from the conference room to an underground tunnel. And uh, we walked through it for a little bit, I would say maybe like five or 10 minutes. And we got to another facility on their campus and they showed us them building the X-59, which is a NASA program to build a supersonic aircraft um, that is much quieter than, say, the Concorde. And then the idea is potentially 
the U.S. could use it for consumer travel because the aircraft would be able to fly over land because you wouldn't hear the supersonic boom sound. Yeah, I think they said that they're trying to make the sonic boom sound like a car door closing. So, I mean, if they can change it that much, I mean, that's pretty impressive there. You mentioned, too, roughly 85% of the work done there at Skunk Works is classified. So very little that they can actually show you guys uh, in person. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. When we went into that um, small corner of the factory to see the X-59, when you turn around, it's all just empty space because they had moved out everything else that they were working on. And you could see this steel wall um, go up and down the sides. I asked one of the comms representatives there what, what that was and she said they jokingly uh refer to it as the great wall and they use it to f- divide up different areas of the factory yeah <laughs> i love that you also <laughs> mentioned that the factory had this kind of new car smell just about you know it's so <laughs> new and everything you mentioned um them showing off kind of the future of what they can do there And things had been done in such an old way for so long. Uh, You know, a lot of digital engineering is going in this and being able to digitally transmit information because everything was done manually or on paper before. Right. It's pretty crazy. Um, You would never think somebody building, you know, these high tech aircraft, um, they're actually they're used to using pen and paper. And so it's pretty revolutionary for them to be opening up this new factory where they can use digital files, um, and equipment. Uh, The reason they're able to do that is the building is erected in a way that it's protected from radio frequency signals. So that means that potential, you know, adversaries or other country spies, they couldn't um, hack into the system there. And finally, what other things are they working on? You mentioned the supersonic jet, but they're also working on uh, these uh, hypersonic weapons development too, some other things. And uh, I think uh, some other project called Speed Racer, which uh, is a little unclear what's going on there. Speed Racer is something that um, the Air Force announced in 2020. And we weren't really sure, we being, you know, the defense journalism community, we weren't really sure what it was because they just showed us a photo and it looked like a cruise missile or UAV and unmanned aircraft coming out of another aircraft. And so what they revealed to us at Skunk Works was that it's part of a larger program that Skunk Works is working with the Pentagon on digital engineering. And this is one of the first projects that has been since inception that used digital engineering that Skunk Works has worked on. And so they were just showing us, you know, how that changed the way they thought about things and approached different um, aspects of their production work. Um, And then another technology that they're working on are hypersonic weapons, which are really important for the United States right now because uh, China and Russia are also developing their own hypersonic weapons, and the United States is actually behind in that arena. So the Pentagon is pouring tons of money to various defense contractors, including Lockheed Martin, to come up with different um, hypersonic weapons, whether they fall, whether they're shot from the air, from a B-52, or whether they're shot from a surface ship or even a submarine. They're 
trying different things. It's a lot of cool stuff. And just to kind of put a pin in how secretive all this is, one of the presenters told you guys, for many of you, this is the last time you're going to be in this facility, or this may be the last time you're going to be in this facility. So even uh, just giving you the, the heads up, you're never coming back here again. Lee Hudson, defense reporter at Politico. Thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. Finally for this week, how many times have you gone into a McDonald's for a nice frozen treat only to be told that the ice cream machine is broken? One couple attempted to get to the bottom of why Taylor ice cream machines that McDonald's uses are always breaking and found there's a secret repair menu that most workers don't know how to access, which forces them to contact the manufacturer for maintenance. For more on this story and the fight over hacking McDonald's ice cream machines, we'll speak to Andy Greenberg, senior writer at Wired. Jeremy O'Sullivan, who is one of the co-founders of this little company that you referenced called Kitch, K-Y-T-C-H, he and his partner, Melissa Nelson, they basically observed that there was this terrible problem with McDonald's ice cream machines. And I just checked, actually, the number of McDonald's ice cream machines that are broken today in the U.S., well, it's about 8%, which is enormous for a fast food chain. But, in, but in, in New York City, where I live, it's 20%. Like one in five New York City McDonald's ice cream machines are offline right now, according to McBroken.com, which is a site that tracks this really closely. So this is a real, a real issue. And this little tiny company, I mean, it's basically just Melissa and Jeremy, to be honest. Uh, or at some point, they started to grow and then... Thanks to McDonald's and Taylor's efforts, they have kind of been squashed. But their goal was to sell this tiny device to let you hack a McDonald's ice cream machine. And this was something that they were selling to franchisees, the owners of McDonald's restaurants, to put inside of their Taylor ice cream machine. And essentially, it would intercept all the data inside of it and then send it out to you know, a web interface or an app and allow you to kind of monitor the conditions of the machine and prevent it from breaking. And it works really well, according to a lot of the franchisees that I spoke to who had been using it. But then, as you might imagine, Taylor, the ice cream machine maker, was not happy about this. And McDonald's, their kind of corporate ally, uh, together these two companies essentially went after her kitchen and destroyed their business, more or less. Right. So I tried to tell the story here of this kind of you know, two-year-long war between these massive fast food superpowers and this tiny little company. And Kitsch is now essentially just starting to counterattack and they're planning a lawsuit against some of the franchisees who gave their device to Taylor for it to be analyzed. And then also likely Taylor itself and maybe even McDonald's too. Right. Let, okay. Let's take a little step back and talk about the machines because O'Sullivan, the way he puts it, he says it's kind of a shakedown. Franchisees really have very limited information on how to monitor the device. That's why you have to call out the distributors and to come and fix them. So Taylor will sell these franchisees this complicated machine. It's very fragile. They don't give them all the information on how to fix it or why it's constantly being broken. Distributors come out and fix it and everybody makes a lot of money on that front. So that's kind of how it goes. But let's talk about the machines themselves because they are pretty sophisticated on one front super simple on another front. And I guess O'Sullivan kind of said they're kind of like an Italian sports car. When they're working perfectly, they work great. But any little tiny thing that breaks down, then it becomes a huge mess. So let's talk about why these machines are so special. Well, that wasn't actually Jeremy who said that. That was this other source who calls him or herself McDee Truth. And they're an anonymous okay. yeah. Twitter account that basically analyzes McDonald's secrets. And it's also they are also a franchise franchisee themselves. And so they know a lot about how these restaurants operate. And yeah, McDee Truth was the one who described it as a, like an Italian sports car where 
when it works well, it's it's an incredible display of efficiency. And they can put out like 10 ice cream cones in a minute with one of these things. But they just break constantly because they're very fragile and finicky and over-engineered. And you have to disassemble them every two weeks to clean them. And there are so many parts that practically nobody seems capable of reassembling it you know, reliably. There are like 25 or more different tiny rubber O-rings that you have to put all in the correct place or it breaks. <laughs> it just doesn't work. Things like that. So this is essentially like a, it's kind of like a NASA level of complexity for an ice cream <laughs> machine. Right. And that's not a great idea when, you know, these are often operated by, you know, high school age teenagers who, who are not very invested in their fast food careers and don't know the ins and outs of all these technicalities. It also has two hoppers and two barrels, so you can do a milkshake and a soft serve simultaneously. Not all the machines are capable of that. Uh, the ones that they sell to McDonald's are. And then they have this four-hour cleaning process, a heat treatment. If anybody's gone to a McDonald's overnight and they say, oh, the machine's cleaning right now, this is the other thing of why they might be out of out of service a lot of times is because they go through this rigorous four-hour cleaning treatment and if it messes up, it's got to start all over. So that's another big component to this. This heat treatment is really interesting because uh, if you don't have this kind of pasteurization feature in the machine, then the restaurant owner has to throw out all of the ice cream at the end of every day that's left in the machine. And so instead, this machine can heat it up and basically like kill all the microbes inside the mix, the ice cream mix before it's you know refrozen, wow. which is kind of gross, but also probably more sanitary than a lot of other machines. But the problem is that that, that cycle constantly fails uh, in these machines, you know, according to all the franchisees that I talk to, for reasons that are often really difficult to figure out. And when, they, when it fails, you have to start it all over. It takes four hours. There are sometimes primetime sales hours. And the error messages that the machine shows you when it fails are totally inscrutable sometimes. And you have to call out Taylor's technician right, to make exactly. sense of them. When in fact, you know, maybe it's just that you have like one inch uh, too much mix, like in the in one of the hoppers, it's been overfilled just slightly. That's enough to make it break. And you have to spend hundreds of dollars to figure that out by calling a technician. And that's the kind of thing that Kitsch was designed to fix. But Taylor, you know, Kitsch at least accuses them of essentially running this racket where uh, they basically want to make money from maintenance more than they want their machines to work. Oh, right. And, and, and it runs up in the thousands is, for some of these franchisees who have to constantly call them out to service the machines. A little bit back to Jeremy O'Sullivan and how he got involved in all of this. He wanted to get in on the frozen yogurt craze, but he wanted to create an automated machine. I think early on they called it the Frobot. Uh, and what he was working with was a Taylor machine. And it started having some limited success. He got it into a few places, uh, uh, into a few football stadiums, I think it was. And then they started breaking down. He had to meet certain requirements. So this is why he kind of formed this Kitsch device. And he later changed the name of the company to that. But this is why he formed that device so that he can start hacking into it and monitoring it for himself instead of having to constantly going out and making the service trips himself. Yeah, exactly. Jeremy and Melissa, their first business model was to try to create a, essentially like a frozen yogurt robot that would be fully automated. And it was built around a tailor machine, like a kind of cabinet with a big screen and a credit card reader so that you could take people and real estate out of the equation and sell people frozen yogurt, just like in handles or a pink berry or whatever. But the problem was that they discovered was that they couldn't keep these tailor machines inside of the robot running. It was just constantly breaking down. They were having to drive out to the football stadium that you referenced to rebuild the Taylor machine inside of Robot all the time. 
And so they built this little device that uh, essentially was their solution to try to save their business to monitor the data inside of that tailor machine to try to figure out why it was breaking. And then eventually gave up on Robot and made that little device their entire business instead, and which was a much more successful business. I mean, at some points, they had 500 of these little kitsch devices, which have a, a subscription plan inside of ice cream machines in, in McDonald's around the country. They were doubling the number of them every quarter, they yeah. told me, and they planned to have more than a thousand by the end of 2020 um, before McDonald's and Taylor essentially cracked down on them. Right. And that's the, that's the final part to this. Now they, they had success with that kitsch device. They, franchisees were getting it. Other people that had these Taylor machines were getting it and kind of cracking the code and, and helping themselves out a little bit. But then Taylor got involved. They tried to place order for these devices. McDonald's, as you mentioned, uh, we think that a franchisee might have got the device and sent it over to Taylor. And McDonald's got involved and said to send emails to their franchisees. You can't use these devices. And in the end, they essentially killed Jeremy's business with this. That's right. Yeah, I mean, it began really with Taylor trying to buy the device, probably just to check it out. Taylor is also now selling a competitive device, their own internet-connected ice cream machine <laughs> right. that monitors the data in a very similar way, but it's, it's still in testing. After working on this for a very long time, a kitchen has been out for two years, Taylor still doesn't have a competitor truly on the market. But but anyway, they were trying to get their hands on a Kitsch device. Kitsch believes that, that they used private investigators to try to get one. Um, Ultimately, um, they did get one, it sounds like, through a franchisee who essentially Kitsch is accusing him of violating his contract by handing it over to Taylor, and he will probably be involved in this lawsuit, unfortunately for him. McDonald's, I guess in an act of kind of loyalty to its longtime equipment supplier, Taylor, in fact, you know, sells the grills to McDonald's as well as the ice cream machine, they took Taylor's side and sent this email to every franchisee that tells them that Kitsch um, breaches the confidential data of the ice cream machines and can even cause like physical injury to staff in a oh, restaurant, wow. which all the franchisees that I spoke to thought was, was pretty far-fetched. I mean, it's, it's possible this thing could, I don't know, could hurt someone if you turn an ice cream machine on remotely. But Taylor tells you to unplug it when you're working on it regardless. So, right. um, you know, if you're following that rule, then there is no <laughs> risk, I, I don't believe. Yeah. So this seems to me to be much more of like a, a heavy-handed way of killing off a competitor, but a competitor who actually was trying to make these machines work. You know, right? And, exactly. Um, if you want, if you want McDonald's ice cream, if that's your goal, if you want to go into a McDonald's and actually be able to buy their ice cream, then it seems like a very minor tragedy that McDonald's and Taylor teamed up to destroy this little business. Yeah, and even at the height of the price and subscription that Kitsch was charging franchisees and all they still said they were saving much more money than having the distributors and uh, come out and service the machines. So it's an amazing story. There's a lot of details we couldn't get to. So I suggest everybody go out and check Andy's piece. Um, but just uh, an amazing story kind of uh, surrounding these McDonald's ice cream machines. Andy Greenberg, senior writer at Wired. Thank you very much for joining us. Well, thank you for having me. It's been fun to talk about it. That's it for this weekend. Be sure to check out The Daily Dive every Monday through Friday. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on Twitter and Daily Dive Podcast on Facebook. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow The Daily Dive on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Daily Dive has been engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this 
was your daily dive weekend edition. <laughs>